أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما نافيا اللهم أرنا الحق حقا وارزقنا اتباعه وأرنا الباطل باطلا وارزقنا اجتنابه رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقه قولي السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته Welcome to the Reflections on the Risale-i Nur by Bedüzzaman Said Nursi podcast series This is Mustafa Tuna In this episode inshallah we will continue reading the 27th word which is about ijtihad This is the third episode of the 27th word readings and as those who heard the earlier previous two episodes may remember, ijtihad is usually translated as independent judgment or independent reasoning, and that is not completely off. However, there are some nuances that we need to know in order to understand this concept better. The root of the word comes from jahada, and jahada means to struggle. The implication is, that the person who does ijtihad tries to come closer or closest to God's will, what pleases God, with regard to a particular circumstance. The example that we gave about this was the permissibility of a food item. Let's see, let's think that we are in a non-Muslim country and we uh, enter a grocery store and we find an item uh, that might be halal, that might be permissible, but there is also a possibility that it may not be halal because of a particular ingredient in it. So the person who does ishtihad considers this matter carefully, finds about, uh, about the ingredients, and then goes to the foundational sources of Islam, the Quran, the prophetic traditions, uh, the ishtihad's opinions of others, others who have done this before us, and then tries to come up with the best answer with sincerity, with the utmostly pure intention to find out what pleases God. Not to try to find excuses, but trying to find out what is it that actually God wants from us under these circumstances. And this requires struggling. This requires struggle. Because as one does this, the lower soul, the world, the Satan, the pressures of society, and so on and so forth, will all pull in the other direction to what will not please God. So the struggle here refers to one's sincerity, the, the position of one's heart with regard to figuring out what is it that, that pleases God. And that's Ishtiyat. And of course, this requires knowledge. If one does not know the Quran, does not know the prophetic traditions, does not know the opinions of others, or does not know the world, does not know the chemical qualities of those ingredients in the food item and so on and so forth, one cannot figure it out. So this requires knowledge, but beyond knowledge, it requires a, a heart, a heart that is in the right place. Now, some people suggest that 
in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, when Ustad Nursi wrote, uh, came of age and wrote this treatise, he wrote it in 1927, that the gates of Ijtihad were closed, that Muslims could not do Ijtihad anymore. And that is also problematic because this is a foundational institution of the religion. If no Ijtihad, how can religion adapt itself to the new circumstances as they emerge? So that was also problematic. Uh, the, the, one of the reasons that they said that Ishtad was not possible any longer was uh, because, one, the knowledge was being lost, and two, uh, Muslims were dominated everywhere, like, were colonized, and were not free to do Ishtihad any longer, not only politically, but also intellectually. So, Ustad Norsi tells us that, no, the gates of Ishtihad are open. The institution is there. But the question is not only whether the gates are open or not, it's also whether we are allowed to, we have the license to go through them. And he says that we do not have the license. Ruhsa. He says that we do not have the license to go through those open gates. And then he moves on to give us several explanations as to why it is not possible. Why we do not have the license. We read through the first five and inshallah in this episode we are going to read the sixth and last uh, reason that Ustad Nursi gives to us as to why we do not have the license to go through the gates of Ishtihad. Altıncısı, the sixth. Selefi Salihinin müştehidini ezamı, asrı nur ve asrı hakikat olan asrı sahabeye yakın olduklarından safi bir nur alıp halis bir iştihad edebilirlerdi. The great müştehids of the righteous predecessors were close in time to the age of the companions, which was an age of light and truth, and therefore they could receive a pure light and do genuine iştihad. So, before we continue, let's try to think about the meaning of the word light a little bit. Of course, this word has a meaning that we all know. Light comes from the sun. Light comes from a candle. Light comes from a light bulb, for instance. It is photons. They move at a very high speed and hit things and then reflect from them and come to our eyes and we have nerve cells in our eyes that receive and perceive them and turn them into uh, electrical signals and our brain then processes it as images and therefore we see things things become visible to us now this is one aspect of the light that we are talking about but light as we understand it in this context is a much broader concept. Anything, physical or metaphysical, anything that makes the context, the environment, visible, recognizable, understandable, is in a sense a, a kind of light. And the metaphysical light is much more powerful. When Ustad Nursi says here that the age of the companions was an age of light and truth, this is the kind of light that we are thinking about. They lived with the Prophet wasallam, and he was the light that illuminated reality, that illuminated the creation, and that made 
all of its, its physical and metaphysical aspects and meanings readable, recognizable. With him, the cosmos became the great book of the cosmos. With him, all the ayahs or the, all the signs that God created in their creation became legible. With him, the tree was not a tree only anymore, was not a biological organism made up of cellulose and whatever else it is made of that lived there for 100 to 300 or perhaps even longer years, reached a certain size, uh, had leaves, and then filled its lifetime and started the decay and fell and then disappeared. That tree was not that physical and biological item that had a temporal life only, but it had a meaning. It showed the beautiful names of its creator. So with the Prophet ﷺ, the entire realm was filled with such light that it was now possible to see reality as reality is. Everything. It was such a powerful light that it filled everything everywhere in the creation and made everything legible. The meaning of everything became clear. And that was what the companions were exposed to and what they preserved. And the companions were situated by God in such a way that they had the best opportunity to read what the Prophet's light وسلم, had made legible. They were chosen. They were the elect. God created all the souls, all the spirits, and then he chose the best among them as the prophets and then the next best as the companions of the Prophet Muhammad So those mujtahids who came after the companions, those mujtahids among the righteous predecessors, they were close in time to that light. And of course, when you are closer to light, it illuminates where you are even better. A light bulb that's a mile away from me, perhaps I can recognize the light if it's a clear day. But it's not going to help me read the book. If I'm in a room where the light bulb is, it's going to help me read everything. So that light filled everywhere and everything in time and space, but the more distant we are from it, the less we are able to benefit from it. And this is also a matter of our aptitudes and, and capabilities and skills. As we said, the companions were chosen and we are not among those chosen. So as generations pass by, the ability of those generations to benefit from that light diminished. And we stand at the further end. And there may be generations after us and they may stand at the even further end. And there may be uh, blessings from God that will enable them to do ishtihad. But where we stand, the environment that we are in, the context we are in is so far away from it. And we do not have the telescopes, the, the binoculars that later generations may have in order to benefit better from that light. We do not have that either. The companions could receive pure light and, and, and, and those who lived close to the companions could receive pure light and do ijtihad. But as time passed by, veils of darkness came before that light and we no more we no more can claim 
that we have the ability to benefit from that light in a pure sense. We benefit from that light. I should not make a mistake here. We do benefit from that light, and it is still the the utmost blessing in our lives. But here we are talking about a technical issue. Can we do ishtihad or not? Can we go through that those gates or not? Şu zamanın ehli ictihadı ise o kadar perdeler arkasında ve uzak bir mesafede hakikat kitabına bakar ki en vazih bir harfini de zor ile görebilirler. The people of ictihad at the present time on the other hand and I think I mentioned this before Ustad Nursi when he talks about the the righteous predecessors the mujtahids of the righteous predecessors he uses the word mujtahid mujtahid is a person who is competent to do ishtihad when he talks about those who are doing ishtihad or those who are claiming to do ishtihad in our time he uses the word ahli ishtihad people of ishtihad those who have an aspiration to the ishtihad but he is not going to grant them the competence because he already said we do not have the license to go through that gate the people of Ishtihad at the present time, on the other hand, look at the book of truth from such a far distance and behind so many veils that they see even the most obvious letter on that book with difficulty. Difficult. It is not that they do not look, but they look and they see that light from such a distance and behind so many veils, and these veils may be uh, we will come to it, but these veils may be on our hearts and on our eyes. They see it from such a distance and behind so many veils that they see even the most obvious letter on that book with difficulty. Eğer desen, sahabeler de insandırlar, hatadan, hilaftan hali olmazlar. Halbuki içtihadatın ve ahkam-ı şeriatın medarı sahabelerin adaleti ve sıdkıdır. Ki, Hatta ümmet, sahabeler umumen adildirler, doğru söylerler diye ittifak etmişler. If you say, the companions are people too and cannot be free of errors and contradictions. And that being said, the source of the ijtihads and the rulings of the sharia is the justice and truthfulness of the companions. So much so that the ummah has agreed that the companions are overwhelmingly just and they overwhelmingly tell the truth. So why is this important? That we have come to an, an, an understanding that the companions are overwhelmingly just and they overwhelmingly tell the truth. Well, the answer to that, the simple answer to that is in the question. The source of the ijtihads and the rulings of the sharia is the justice and truthfulness of the companions. But again, why? Let's think about it. The Prophet ﷺ was called Al-Amin, the trustworthy. Even before he became a prophet, even before he received a revelation, that's how he was known, because that is how he was. People trusted him. Now, if he was a liar, if he was a trickster, if he was somebody known to deceive people, if he was known to be somebody who could easily misrepresent truth in order to protect and preserve his interests or just for the fun of it to mislead people. Hasha, far be it. This is 
just a, a mental exercise that we are doing in order to understand this matter better. He was trustworthy. He was none of that. He was trustworthy. But if he was a trickster, a liar, a deceiver, when he received revelation and told people, I received revelation, would they believe him? Of course not. They would think that this is somebody who, who is so given to lying that most of what he says is a lie. Why should we believe such a tremendous, extraordinary claim that he is making at all? They would not believe him. Now, how do we know about the message that the Prophet ﷺ brought? The Qur'an and the prophetic traditions. But how do we know about them? Who conveyed it to us? Who transmitted to us? Of course, the companions. That's why, and that's why it is so important that they were chosen, and also that's why that they had such beautiful characters, and they were so truthful, and they were overwhelmingly just. That's how they transmitted those prophetic traditions and the Qur'an to us in such meticulous accuracy. May God be pleased with them. The scholars of Hadith after the companions were also like that. They went out of their ways in order to identify whether a prophetic tradition was accurate, reliable, sound or not. And when they did this, they did not only study the authenticity of the text or source, for instance, but they also studied the character traits of the people who transmitted those prophetic traditions. That was a very important, very important part of their task. They knew that it would not be okay to receive a transmission from the Prophet ﷺ through a chain of transmitters that involved even one person who was known to be a liar. This is how meticulous they were and this is how important it is. The companions are the, are the source for us of what pleases God. And the entire purpose of doing ishtihad is to come closer to what pleases God. So this means that our very task, our very task is possible if the companions are just and truthful and scholars of this matter have studied them and found out that they are just, overwhelmingly just and overwhelmingly truthful. And this is not a forced judgment. This is not a judgment that is forced onto them. No, this is how they were and this is why we are thinking now that they were just and truthful. This was their state. Now, if you are suggesting that the companions were people too, and they cannot be free of errors and contradictions, and if that is the foundation of our, uh, that is the source of our very ability to do ijtihad, how can we put this together? They could make errors, they could have contradictions. Al-Jawab, then the response to you would be this. Evet, sahabeler ekseriyeti mutlaka itibariyle hakkı aşık, sıdka müştak, adalete hahişgerdirler. 
Yes, the absolute majority of the companions were in in love with the reality, had a yearning to remain truthful, and desired justice. So they may have errors. They may have weaknesses. They may have contradictions. But when, when it comes to their truthfulness, their relationship with reality, their desire for justice, overwhelmingly, they were impeccable. And they were chosen for this purpose by God. It was their purpose in existence that they would transmit that light from the Prophet And if some of them made errors, the others corrected that. They were many, according to some calculation, some narration. Uh, they were over 100,000, perhaps 124,000 at the time of the farewell hajj, the, the last hajj of the Prophet So what do we mean when we say they were in love with the reality? Let's try to remember, earlier we had mentioned this. Reality is beautiful. Imam Ghazali says that there is nothing in the realm of possibility that is or that can be more beautiful than what is. What is out there? What is out there is beautiful. And they were exposed to the light of the Prophet ﷺ, which showed reality to them as reality is. They saw reality as reality is. And they saw that it was beautiful and perfect. Reality is beautiful and perfect. There is nothing, nothing in the realm of possibility that can be better than it, more beautiful than it, more perfect than it. It is beautiful and perfect. And we humans are created with this innate inclination to love beauty. We are innately attracted to beauty and perfection. So the companions who had the purest innate nature were attracted to beauty and perfection and they saw it in reality and therefore they were in love with reality and because of that love they would not tolerate reality to be presented in a way that it was not. They loved reality and therefore they had a yearning to remain truthful. They had a yearning they had a desire, they had an eagerness to remain true to reality. And truth, after all, is that what you say or think corresponds to reality as reality is. And they desired justice. They desired justice. Because justice reflects God's wisdom. Justice is putting everything where they belong to. And God is the one who ordained where things belong to. Justice comes from wisdom. And they loved reality as reality is, as God created it. And therefore they wanted justice. They desired justice. They were desirous of justice. Even if that meant that uh, they would lose something. Even if they went against their interests. This was the character trait of the companions of the Prophet Muhammad and radiallahu anhum may God be pleased with them all çünkü yalanın ve kizbin çirkinliği bütün çirkinliğiyle ve sıdkın ve doğruluğun güzelliği bütün güzelliğiyle o asırda öyle bir tarzda gösterilmiş ki ortalarındaki mesafe arştan ferşe kadar açılmış because in that age the complete ugliness of lies and lying and the complete beauty of truth and truthfulness 
were shown in such a way that the distance between them had had expanded, opened up as far as the distance from the earth to the sublime throne. So what is that distance from the earth to the sublime throne? That's probably the largest ever distance that we can think of in the creation, in the physical creation, from the earth to the sublime throne. That's beyond our imagination. We, we do not know the reality of the sublime throne. Maybe there are those out there whose hearts are completely open and they see it. That's possible. But for the average person, that's that's beyond our imagination. But it is enough for us to know that these are the two furthest things in the physical creation. And therefore that is the largest physical distance that we can imagine. And Ustad Nursi tells us that the distance between lies and truth had opened so much so and the ugliness of lies had become so clear and the beauty of truth had become so clear at the time of the Prophet wasallam, and therefore the companions that it was crystal clear to them. They saw this perfectly. And when you see that lies are so ugly and truth is so beautiful, again, mankind has an innate inclination toward beauty and perfection. And the companions had the purest, purest innate nature in them that they were naturally attracted to the beauty of truth. This was not something that they aspired to do, that they forced themselves to do. This was how they were. This was their state. You don't get surprised when water freezes below zero degrees Celsius or 30 Fahrenheit. You don't get surprised because that's what you expect from water. You don't get surprised when sunlight hits and you warm up. You don't get surprised because that's what you expect from sunlight. It was the innate nature of the companions that they desired justice. They loved truth and they yearned for truthfulness. They saw the complete ugliness of lies and complete beauty of truth that we expect them. We don't get surprised. We just expect them to be attracted to reality, to be in love with reality. This was how they were. We don't need further explanation. This is, this was their state. Esfeli safilindeki müseylime ikezzabın derekesinden âlâ-i illiyinde olan Hazreti Peygamber aleyhissalâtu vesselâmın derece-i sıdkı kadar bir ayrılık görülmüştür. And Üstad Nursi goes on to explain this further. He gave us an example of the the largest physical distance that we can imagine. Now he is going to give us the largest metaphysical, probably the largest metaphysical distance that we can imagine. And that is a separation that was as large as the distance between Musaylimatul Kazab's lovely degree at the lowest of the low and the Prophet Wasallam's level of truthfulness at the highest of the high. So Musaylimatul Kazab is this false prophet who claimed to be a prophet after the Prophet. And he was comical. Even his daughter, 
thought that he was comical. He used to take some uh, structures from the Quran and try to come up with poems that were similar to that. And he said that I am the prophet. And, and the companions just rejected him. It just fell apart. It was crystal clear that he was a liar. And therefore they called him Kazab. Kaziba is to lie. Kazab is one who lies excessively, always lies, is an oft liar, an ever liar. That was Musaylimat al Kazab. And his metaphysical station is the lowest of the law. And compare that to the Prophet. Compare that to the level of truthfulness of the Prophet that was at the highest of the high. So that was the distance that the companions were exposed to, that the companions saw between lie and truth. Evet, müseylimeyi esfeli safiliğine düşüren kizb olduğu gibi, Muhammedül Emin aleyhissalatu vesselamı alâ-i illiğine çıkaran sıdktır ve doğruluktur. Yes, as it was lying that reduced Musaylime to the lowest of the law, it was truth and truthfulness that elevated Muhammed sallallahu aleyhi ve sellem, the trustworthy al-amin to the highest of the high. İşte hissiyat-ı ulviyeyi taşıyan ve mehasin-i ahlakiyeye perestiş eden ve şems-i nübüvvetin ziyai sohbetiyle nurlanan sahabeler, o derece çirkin ve sukuta sebep ve Müseylime'nin maskara alud muzahrefat dükkanındaki kizbe ihtiyarıyla ellerini uzatmamak ve küfürden çekindikleri gibi küfrün arkadaşı olan kizbden çekinmeleri ve o derece güzel ve medarı fahr ve mübahat ve miracı suud ve terakki ve fahri risaletin hazine-i aliyesinde en revaçlı bulunan ve şaşa-i cemaliyle içtimaat insaniyeyi nurlandıran sıdka, doğruluğa ve hakka ve bilhassa ahkam-ı şeriye rivayetinde ve tebliğinde elbette ellerinden geldiği kadar talip ve muvafık ve aşık olmaları katidir, zaruridir, şüphesizdir. This is a long sentence. We will try to understand it together. Therefore, it is certain, necessary, and beyond doubt. So something is certain, necessary, and beyond doubt. What is that? That is, the companions who carried lofty emotions, revered the beauties of excellence in character, and were illuminated by the radiance of the son of prophethood. So this is a de- description of the companions, right? They carried lofty emotions. We already said that they were selected, they were chosen. It was their state of being that they hated lies. They had ithar. They preferred others over themselves, even if they were in need themselves. They loved cleanliness. They loved order. They were just. They were courageous. They were brave. They were charitable. They loved to give. They loved virtue. They granted people their rights. Some were more virtuous than the others. And when that happened, they did not become jealous. They, they accepted whoever was more virtuous was more virtuous. They had all these lofty emotions and it had saturated their being to the level of emotions. This is important. This was not just an intellectual matter for them. It was their state. They were like that. They had lofty emotions. They revered the beauties of excellence in character. 
when they saw good character, they revered it, and they aspired to it, and many of them attained it. And most important, they were illuminated by the radiance of the sun of prophethood. They saw reality as reality is. They saw reality as reality is, and they fell in love with it. And their entire being was in harmony with reality. So, what do we expect from these companions? Ustad Nursi says that it is certain, necessary, and beyond doubt that these companions would refrain from lie, which is the friend of disbelief. Lie is the friend of disbelief because disbelief is lie. What is disbelief? It is, as he mentioned before, it is covering up. It is not that the disbeliever does not know about God. No. We all, we all stood before God and he asked us, am I not your Lord? And we all said, yes, yes, you are our Lord. We carry the traces of that, that experience in our hearts. But the one who does kufr covers that up and therefore presents reality as different from reality is. And that's lie. That is probably the utmost lie. But there is a way to it in every lie. Because lying is an insult to God's wisdom. Lying is rebellion against God's wisdom. Because we said reality is what God created. God is powerful. God is, has absolute will. God has absolute knowledge. God has absolute wisdom. Whatever he created, he created beautifully and perfect. There is nothing more beautiful in the realm of possibility that is more beautiful than the reality as reality is. Then why lie? Is there something wrong with reality that we want to present it in a way that it is not? That the companions of the Prophet would refrain from lie, which is a friend of disbelief in the way that they refrained from disbelief. Disbelief for them was fire. Imagine yourself standing next to fire and somebody f grabs your arm and tries to force your hand into fire. How would you resist that? Especially if you felt the heat of the fire as you get closer and closer. How would you resist that and try to pull back? How would you refrain from that? Kufr. Disbelief was fire for the companions. And they refrained from it the way one refrains, pulls away from fire. And they did not extend their hands knowingly to the utmostly ugly and comical lie in Musaylimah's trash shop. That was a cause of dissent. So Musaylimah came after the Prophet and said, I am a prophet. And he was selling ideas. He was writing these poems, etc. And he was trying to present it to people. He was trying to sell them. And that was all trash. The companions did not extend their hands to it. They were disgusted by it. They refrained from it. And, in the, and that is an indication of how they would refrain from lies. That is how they refrained from all kinds of lies. It is, this is certain, necessary, and beyond doubt. And it is also certain, necessary, and beyond doubt that they would demand and be in love with and conform to the utmostly beautiful truth, truthfulness, and rightfulness that illuminated the entire human society with the splendor of 
their beauty and that are a source of pride and contentment, a ladder for ascension and advancement, and the most demanded thing in the exalted treasury of the pride of messengership. So the companions would demand, conform to, and be diligent about, and be in love with the utmost beautiful truth, truthfulness, and rightfulness that came with the Prophet that illuminated the entire human society with the splendor of their beauty. And that are a source of pride and contentment for us, for humans. Right? That, that truth that he brought is a source of pride. We are the ones in the entire creation who, through the affluence and blessing of the Prophet ﷺ, are able to see reality as reality is and read all the meanings that are written throughout the cosmos and entire existence on the signs that God has put there as a manifestation of His beauty and majesty and perfection. We are the only ones who, who can do it. This is a source of pride. It is not from us. Therefore, we don't become arrogant. We become grateful. But we are also proud that we were given this opportunity. Right? It's a source of pride and contentment, a ladder for ascension and advancement. By climbing on that ladder that the Prophet ﷺ put before us, laid before us, in his mi'raj, in his ascension, right? we reach the highest of the high or we come closer to the highest of the high. We advance. And therefore, that, that truth that he brought to us is the most demanded thing in the exalted treasury of the pride of messengership, Prophet ﷺ, especially with regard to his narration and propagation of the rulings of the Sharia. So, his narration and propagation of the rulings of the Sharia was a part of the truth that he exposed and the companions were especially um, desirous of, in love with, and also successful about conveying, conveying those narrations to us as truth, as a representation of the truth that the Prophet ﷺ brought to us in his message. Now, that was the case for the companions. What about us? Halbuki şu zamanda kizb ve sıdkın ortasındaki mesafe o kadar kısalmış ki adeta omuz omuza vermişler. Now that being said, in our time, the distance between truth and lies has become so short, has shortened so much that it is as if they are, they are standing shoulder to shoulder. That's how it is now. Anybody who is exposed to public media or education at our time will and should understand this. And I'm not talking about uh, false news here. That's also a part of it, and, and we will talk about that too. But to some, this might sound too radical. The overall world of information that we live in is so confused. Truth and lies are so mixed up with one another in it that it is almost impossible for us to discern truth from falsehood, truth from lie in that realm. Many things that may sound innocent to us, absolutely innocent to us, if you were to be if you were to see them through the eyes of the companions of the Prophet, 
we would be disgusted. Think about fiction, novels, stories, a huge industry. A huge industry about people's imagination of what did not happen. A source of entertainment, to some extent a source of education too, and that, that's good. But, but, in general, overall, fiction is lie. That's the definition of it. It's a narrative about what did not happen. Now, I'm not making a legal judgment here. That's not my place. I'm not a mujtahid. I don't have that knowledge. I cannot tell on my own whether something is halal or haram. I'm not passing a judgment about the permissibility of fiction. What I'm saying is, in the time that we live in, reality, truth, and lies have mixed up so much so that we are desensitized to hearing lies, reading, watching, hearing. We don't even have this concern about listening to or reading something that is fiction, that is not true. We find it entertaining, okay, but we are so corrupted by this that the trade-off is that we are not entertained by reality itself. We are not entertained anymore by looking at a beautiful tree and contemplating the signs of creation on it. There's a veil before our eyes that we do not see that anymore. We are not entertained by looking at the clear sky on a beautiful summer day, observing the stars and the embroidery that God has placed on the, on the firmament and contemplating the signs of creation in it. We are not entertained we are not fulfilled by this. We do not find joy in this anymore. Maybe from time to time, occasionally we do. But think of that urge that forces you to take your cell phone in your hands and start reading through the news or pick up a book, a novel, and start reading it or turn on the TV and start watching a TV series or a movie. Think of that urge and compare that, that to if there is any, to the urge that you have to look at a beautiful tree or the clear sky or the, or the face of the ocean, where is that? Where is our infatuation with the beauties of reality? Where is it? Have we not fallen away from reality and therefore truth? If truth is the correspondence of what we think and say with reality itself, this is a serious matter matter to think about. And Ustad Nursi tells us, when he tells us that we do not have the license to go through those gates, this is a big part of it. It may sound innocent, and perhaps it is innocent. There is no bad intentions, at least for most of us. There is no bad intentions involved in doing so. Sometimes we, we may be doing that with good intentions. We may be taking a nicely written novel and reading it in order to improve our language and understanding, etc. and so on and so forth. But we are not even aware that when we do that, we are holding lie and truth next to one another and, and the lines between the two are blurring becoming indiscernible. We are losing our ability to tell lies from truth. Sıdktan yalana geçmek pek kolay gidiliyor. It became so easy to slide from truth into, into lies. So easy. So easy that oftentimes we do not even recognize that we are sliding from truth into lies. 
Hatta siyaset propagandası vasıtasıyla yalancılık doğruluğa tercih ediliyor. Now this brings us to the false news and all that category of problems that we can talk about. Moreover, through the propaganda of politics or because of the propaganda of politics, lying, being a liar, is preferred over truthfulness. Now what is that? What is that about? We all hear about false news and when we hear about it, we all think that that is something wrong, that should not happen and so on and so forth. But until the time hits when we hear a news story that serves to our interests and ideologies and we do not think twice about that at that time, at that point. We take a news story as true if it conforms to the ideological paradigms that we already believe to be true. And we think about it twice, three times, maybe we can outright deny it if it does not conform to those ideological paradigms. Now, where is the standard? Where is the standard about truth? The standard about truth should be about truth, not the conformity of a new story to our ideological paradigms or vice versa. Where is the standard? We lose it. But even more so, even more so, sometimes we know that something is a lie. We are given all the facts, but we will not take it. We will not accept it. We will not even approve people telling us that, that a lie that we believe is a lie. And this relates to a large extent to the notion of ideologies and the way we are socialized into, indoctrinated with various ideologies through education and all other sources of information that we are exposed to throughout, throughout our lives. This is the way the modern world is set up through public and popular education. We all grow up as nationalists in one way or another, as people who admire and uphold our states and countries, even if even if they are doing, our countries, our states are doing something wrong. If the government of some other country does something wrong, it's very easy for us to admit it and to go after it. And this is a very, very basic human instinct. If somebody else's child does a mistake, we are going to be ready. We will jump to point it out and demand restitution. If somebody else does something wrong to us, we will be very quick to demand restitution. But if our child does something wrong, aren't we going to try to find many, many excuses before we even think about restitution? If we do something, if we wrong some, some, somebody else, aren't we going to be so resistant to the, the idea of restitution? Aren't we going to try to find excuses? We are not going to judge ourselves in the way we judge others, or we are not going to judge others in the way that we judge ourselves. Now, we extend this basic human instinct about self-preservation and so on and so forth. It is not true. It's not true. And when we have that standard in our hearts, we don't do it. But we, we, we do have this instinct too. We extend that basic human instinct to the 
countries that we identify with, so the states that we identify with. And we believe that, not all, but many of us, believe that the nations that we belong to were there forever and have the right to exist. And we have the best cuisine, we have the best sports teams, we were always on the side of goodness and right and so on and so forth. Others always oppressed us and suppressed us and tried to do injustice to us, but we were always fair and just. What's that? What's that? Did the nations that we believe in actually exist since time immemorial? The scholars who have studied these matters passed a verdict and they say that uh, they did not. There were no nations up until perhaps at, at most 300 years ago. There first were the nationalists who imagined these communities as nations. And then they indoctrinated others about, about the existence and virtues of those nations. And then we took that to our public schools. And we taught our children about the heroic histories of our nations. And again, I'm not passing a judgment here. I'm not saying that this is good. I'm not saying this is bad. I'm just saying this is what it is. And there is something that is being lost in the process. So it is easy to think about politicians as liars. To think about politicians as telling us lies because they want our votes. And if we were to find out about their corruption, we would not be voting for them. And therefore, they are going to lie to us and they are going to try to deceive us and veil us from reality. That's the obvious part of this. But, but, it, is, it goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than that to our hearts, each and every one of us. It may not be nation. It may be class. It may be a cult that we are involved in. It may even be religion in the sense of thinking the community of believers as the community that we identify with rather than the religion that God has revealed to his prophet Oftentimes we confuse Islam with Muslims. We want to de defend Muslims at all costs. But what did the Prophet ﷺ tell us? He told us to help our brothers whether they are oppressed or oppressors. Can our brothers not be oppressors? Are we going to defend them even when they are oppressors? Where is the standard? Where is the measure? And he told us that the way to help our brothers who are oppressors is to prevent them to tell them, no, stop, you cannot do this. But if we find ourselves in front of a larger global audience that are honing their knives in order to attack us as the larger Muslim community, don't we have this instinct to, to become defensive and start to defend our Muslim brothers even if they may be doing something wrong? This is not only about states and governments and power and the, and the political indoctrinations that they give to us. It is also about, as we mentioned before, it's also about the overall corporate hegemony, corporate hegemony, the hegemony of money and finances and the impersonal corporate thinking. We are all consumers. We are all pawns in the hands of big business to make profits. 
And that also indoctrinates us in certain ways, and that also prevents us from being able to see truth, being able to tell truth from lies. For one like myself, who lives in a country like America, for instance, the overall notion, the overall definition of success as having a stable job, being able to buy your house, being able to you know buy a car, uh, being able to send your children to a good school, and so on and so forth, the middle class dream of America, for instance. Why? Why is that the ultimate success? Where is the concern about God's pleasure in this? Now, that may be what pleases God, and that's perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with pursuing those if that is where God's pleasure is. But why assume that? Why assume that? For instance, if I have a stable job, but in order to hold on to that job, I have to skip my uh, noon prayer every day. Is that really worth it? Would it be better to find a lower-paying job and downsize my house and maybe sell one of my cars and so on and so forth? These are very subtle issues. It's not, it's not only about political ideology. It's also about, uh, as we said before, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. Here the concern is that we do not have the license to go through those gates because we are exposed to the lies and truth side by side so much so that the line between the two has blurred for all of us and doing ishtihad is about figuring out what pleases God and what pleases God is a reflection of reality and truth is the conformity of what we say or think to reality and when we lose truth we lose our connection to reality. And when we don't have the connection to reality, we cannot do ishtihad. We don't have the license to go through those gates. İşte en çirkin şey. En çirkin şey. En güzel şeylerle beraber bir dükkanda bir fiyatla satılsa. Elbette pek ali olan ve hakikat cevherine giden sıdk ve hak pırlantası o dükkancının marifetine ve sözüne itimat edip körü körüne alınmaz. If the ugliest thing is sold in the same store for the same price as the most beautiful things. Then, one cannot trust the word of that store's owner, the salesperson, blindly, in order to purchase the gem of truth and rightfulness, which leads to the much-exalted jewel of reality. So let's try to imagine. This is a metaphor. And when we talked about fiction, don't think that these representations, metaphors that Ustad Nursi is giving to us are also a confusion of reality and, and lie. No, that's not the case. These metaphors are ways for us to understand truth. They are instruments of understanding truth. They are binoculars or telescopes to look at truth. Ustad Nursi is not telling this to us in order to entertain us, in order to expose us to a fiction. No. That's a completely different, that's a, that's a foundational different concept. Stories are okay. Metaphors are okay. The Prophet ﷺ gave us metaphors because those metaphors, again, are telescopes to look at, binoculars to look at truth. They are not ends in themselves. They are not there in order to show us how far an author's creativity goes in order to create a work of fiction. No. These are here to help us look at truth. Therefore, they are an aspect of truth.
Dr. Stadnursi gives us a metaphor here. If the ugliest thing is sold in the same store for the same price as the most beautiful thing. So imagine a store. It sells two things. Different variations of those things, but two things. One of them is truth. The other is lie. And we do not know exactly how truth looks and how lie looks. And the owner of the store has, has lined them up side by side on the shelves. We do not have a shelf that says this is the shelf of truth and another shelf that says this is the shelf of lie. No, they are all put side by side. And their prices are also similar, which indicates that the owner of this, of this, this shop does not have preference for one of those items over the other. He just wants to sell us things. He doesn't care. Would he go to the owner of the store and say, give me truth? He can give us anything. He can give us truth or he can give us lie. And we will not be able to tell the difference. And he is not reliable. He is not trustworthy. Because he put them side by side. We know that he doesn't care. All he cares is to sell us something. Then, one cannot trust the word of that store's owner blindly in order to purchase the gem of truth and rightfulness, which leads to the much exalted jewel of reality. That's what we want. We want the jewel of reality. We want to lead to that. We want truth. For truth, we need that standard. But the standard is lost to us. And therefore, it is very difficult for us to, to differentiate between truth and lie, between truth and falsehood, between good and bad, in order to come up with new solutions to the questions that we may have. Now, as we said before in the other explanations that Ustad Nursi was giving to, giving to us, the ijtihads of the righteous predecessors are detailed and broad. They have contemplated, went over probably all questions that we may have. Many questions that we think are new to us, if one were to investigate deeply enough, one would find the answers in that tradition. So if this is the case, if they had the standard, if they did the ishtihad, if they figured out the answer, and if they recorded it and gave it to us, what then is the purpose of trying to go through those gates? Simply because we want to prove that we can go through those gates too. We are not trying to prove anything. We are trying to live in a way that pleases God. That is the ultimate success. There is nothing else that can help us get through this world and end successfully, reach paradise successfully. We want to reach paradise. We want to earn God's pleasure. We want to look at His countenance. We want to stand with the Prophet ﷺ by the pool or kawthar. That's what we want. If we earn that, if, if that's in our hands, why do we care about whether we have the right to do ishtihad or not, not have the right to do ishtihad, whether we have the license and not have the license? This is the circumstance that we are living in. We need to recognize our circumstances. We need to recognize and think really well about what we want to achieve. 
Again, we want to achieve success in this world and in the hereafter. And that means earning God's pleasure. Earning God's pleasure necessitates acting in a way that pleases God. And that necessitates knowing what pleases God. And that necessitates the ability to tell truth from falsehood, good from evil, lies from truth. And that necessitates a state of mind and heart for which truth is separate from lie. The distance between the two is wide. But in our case, that's all mixed up. It's all a jumble out there. We need to recognize this. We need to focus on the essentials. When falsehood and truth mix up with one another, the great danger in that is that we may lose our way to the ultimate truth. Al-Haqq, God, the ultimate reality. We are in danger of hidden shirk, ascribing partners to God. Our pride, our lower soul, may be what we worship. If you think that I am a genius, I have read through all the material that the scholars of Islam have accumulated. I have my computer software that gives me access to all the books, thousands of books, all the prophetic traditions that have been recorded. I have these search engines that I can find anything much faster than Imam, Imam Shafi'i could figure out in his, in his mind, in his memory. And I know the world. I studied chemistry and physics and whatnot. I know a lot. I know a lot. And yes, I am sincere about this too. And therefore, I'm going to do justice. Hold on one second. Can there be some level of pride involved in what you are suggesting here? Where is your humility? Where is your modesty? Can you be worshipping yourself? We need to be careful. We need to be careful about these things. What follows this sixth explanation is a conclusion and then we will move on to the second part of the 27th word, inshallah, where we will talk about the primacy of the companions of the Prophet wasallam. We already touched upon that here. And in the conclusion, we will talk about the necessity of the madhabs, the schools of jurisprudence and also schools of uh, theology in helping us live lives that will help us come close to what pleases God. Because those methods are collections of the ishtahas of our righteous predecessors, the mujtahids of our righteous predecessors. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'allamtana innaka anta al-alimul hakim wa akhir da'wahum anilhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Al-Fatiha.